This episode of the Get Fast podcast is brought to you as it has been all year by Trivelo Coaching, where we help triathletes and cyclists like you train smarter to race faster. You are joined as always by your host, former Australian Ironman champion, Jared Donnelly, and I am Jordan Donnelly. Really excited for today's episode of the podcast because we've got a special guest. It's his third time appearing on the podcast. Uh, we love our conversations with him every time, and today's conversation was no different. That's Dr. Harry, our resident nutrition expert, uh, because this is a topic that you can just talk about what it feels like forever on. Uh, it is a fascinating topic. Uh, there is so much to learn from it. Uh, there is still so many, so many unknowns about it. Um, but yeah, I was I was really excited to talk to, to get to talk to Harry again today and explore a few more things and I know the listeners will get a lot of it, a lot out of it won't they yeah I think it gave us a little bit more clarity uh, across you know we, we're trying to find the extras here in our podcast for performance that's mm-hmm. that's what our podcast is about is is trying to give listeners something that will motivate them um, to go the next step and and you know we are all about trying to improve ourselves um, as as athletes but as humans as well and and having a well-rounded uh, nutritional uh, program as well as a, a performance-based athletic program, whether you're a cyclist or a triathlete or a runner, you know, these are the things that we're talking about on this podcast. And, and it's, you know, things like um, understanding what the nutrition component means. Um, also having goals, you know, are you wanting to be lighter? Do you want to, um, you know, uh, perform better or both, you know, obviously as, a, as an athlete, you want to have uh, the lightest possible weight you can on your bike um, and therefore your performance will go up, push more power, lose weight and wham, you, you become a better cyclist. Um, but he also talks about being in charge of measuring measuring your, your, your progress mm. um, and having feedback and data and, but also to enjoy, enjoy being in control of your own destiny and and not only is this for improvement in performance, but it, 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 the thing that he loves talking about is, you know, this is going to make you possibly live longer if you actually look after yourself and have control of your own destiny and not be a slave to the carbs that that, uh, that we so devour as, as a society. And I'm, I'm a, a carb lover, um, mm. but, but we can certainly learn. Every time we talk to Harry, we learn something new that we can uh, invest in our actual lifestyle and that's what i love about uh hearing harry i can listen to him all day so yeah yeah most people can um and i've said that he was one of my favorite podcasts from last year uh the lessons he taught in that podcast were some of my favorite lessons of the year as a whole exactly what you're just touching on then you know not being a slave to your appetite i just think um some of the stuff he talks about is game changing for people and we've we've spoken a little bit as well about how athletes have said to you um you know, how much their life has improved because of, you know, training um, and because of getting their nutrition right. And I think that is just incredible and it can't be uh, underestimated how powerful that is. So without further ado, uh, enjoy the episode. Here we are now. All right. We want to welcome back our resident nutrition expert, Dr. Harry on the podcast. Harry, thank you very much for joining us again. Absolutely. My pleasure, guys. Glad to be here. So before we get into the nutrition side of things, uh, I want to ask you about how you're feeling a couple of weeks after reveling in the glory of an Australian Teams Time Troll Championship. <laughs> well, I mean, I think if anyone had seen oh, some of the photos, uh, if, some, if anyone had seen some of the photos from, from after the event, um, you'd, you'd know how I've been feeling. Had a big cheesy grin that no one could have wiped off my face. Uh, but no, it was just an amazing day, amazing experience. The build-up, the the shenanigans of the race, um, the you know the performance of my teammates in particular, <laughs> and my own performance just to do what I could. Uh, just it was it's the cycling thrill of my life so far, um, and now I'm hungry for more success and more improvement, and want to be able to stick with stick with those guys so just and you know hats off to you guys in preparing us and creating the culture um and the and the esprit de corps that breeds such a successful um you know set of 
performances individual and team-wise. Um, I think that photo, um, I'm, I'm not sure how people can see this photo, but basically we put together a, um, a podium photo with the, the champions on the team time trial day and it was filled with Trivelo uh, jerseys, which was just magnificent. So Yeah, yeah. But- we spoke, we spoke after the race and, um, you know, we spoke about the fact that every week, you know, Tuesday morning, um, you guys were preparing as a team 5, 6 a.m. on Beach Road uh, for so long. And so to stand there and get that jersey was well worth it. So I wanted to start the podcast off on that note. Um, but let's get into it because the people want to hear uh, about nutrition because it is such a fascinating topic. Uh, it's one that you can just talk about endlessly. We've had countless conversations with you about it, um, countless conversations with Trouble athletes about it. Uh, and it's always evolving. And we were just talking um, off air about the fact that uh, I really like you just said, then you're as much a, a student as you are an expert because we just don't have, you know, concrete um, facts about this is what it is, black and white, and no one can argue against that. You know, it's, it's a lot of changing and developing and more research uh, always needed. So I want to ask you since last time you're on the podcast, what more have you learned? What kind of things have, have um, you changed your mind about or um, found that work really well? Yeah, well, I think you're right. So, again, just just for clarity, I wanted to declare that I consider myself to be a student of this whole field of endeavour, whole field of research and medicine and just life in general. Um, I haven't really changed my big-picture view of nutrition. There are certain principles that hold true today just as much, if not more, so than when we had our conversation last time, such as the merits of a low or very low carbohydrate diet in general, even for even for athletes, endurance athletes that are constantly putting themselves and others to the sword uh, in terms of performance. Um, so that hasn't changed. But I think since our last conversation, what I have learned is just how differently some people respond to and engage with different programs of nutrition. I have had the pleasure of looking after people that have not only followed my guidance and recommendations, but have created new standards in how they've been adopted, right through to others that have done their best, but um, haven't managed really to fully exercise the program and seen the differences in outcomes, the difference in sort of the rate of change that's being experienced and definitely the difference in the level of performance that's been achieved. Um, And just further to that, I think uh, what what I've learned is that the most success has been garnered by people that have taken the tools and made them habit as opposed to Uh, suffering under new standards uh, or new dietary guidelines or what have you. They've adopted into their lives and that's just who they have become. They've started living, um, I don't know how glib this will sound, but they've started living like the person that they want to be and and that's just shown up in the end that... They've made these changes in their mind for life, uh, for their own wellness and their own performance. And, and I've just been amazed at some of the, at some of the outcomes. I mean, it's been spectacular. Um, the other thing is I've become less dogmatic about um, rules. I like that, uh, yeah. So I, I, I think... You know, not, not everyone's an Olympian and not everyone can execute like that. Uh, but everyone can benefit provided that they use the tools that I've given them, nutritional and otherwise, uh, to, to make gains. Mm. Most of the gains, well, there are 
there are several gains that can be made by modifying what you eat. The first, in terms of what we're talking about, which is which is athletic performance. That's what this podcast is about, going faster, right? Yeah. Yeah. Let's face it. Um, we want to be lighter in general. But there are very few of us that could say to ourselves, I'm at my ideal race weight today. I don't, I mean, I might know a couple of them, but by and large, 90% of us are a couple of kilos, you know, anywhere from a couple of kilos through to 15 kilos too heavy. Um, that's the first thing. The second thing, and probably the more important in the long run, is the metabolic adaptation that occurs from just um, re restricting carbohydrate intake just a little bit. And, and that's, you know, um, you know I, I, think, I, I think that's really what I'm trying to, to get across to people is, is, you know, there's a few um, ways we can benefit from modifying our diet. Uh, you know, one of them is weight loss. Another one's metabolic function, and the third is probably longevity, living longer. We know that the we know as as we discussed last time, the high uh, carbohydrate intake diet is not a great one for us as humans long term. There's some great points uh, yeah. that you started off with as usual, Harry. And um, yeah, look, what you said earlier, look, you know. This podcast is we're just trying to improve our performance and and that's what the listeners are just listening to every sentence you say and trying to get that the secret, which is almost um, not a secret because it's, if, if you go on the program, for example, as a cyclist doing the sessions that I give you, it seems like it's a secret. What do I do? When do I do it? how much intensity do I do? And the same is with the nutritional aspect of it. it. It's no secret if you just follow these steps. And I find in my coaching, the people who do a version of my program get a version of the results. And, the, and it's not, you know, you look at the nationals last week, the standout performers were those who not only did your nutritional program 100%, my training program 100%, the sleep pattern program, the the recovery program, the ma massage, the every one percenter you can throw at them, they were the ones standing on the top of the dice. Is that a fair assumption of, of what the nutritional program is like as well? A version gives you a version of the result? I think so. Uh, you know, the it's easy to it's easy to talk about principles isn't it you i can talk about the principles of a of a nutrition program for endurance athletes it's pretty simple we want to reduce the amount of carbohydrate at the same time as increasing the amount of fat maintaining a modest level of protein intake however the devil is in the detail right as it is as it is in your program the devil is in what, what constitutes the percentage of FTP to perform your under in an under and over session. The precision, at least at the start, until these habits are formed, the precision is required and the devil's in the detail. Mm. And absolutely, the people that adhered most closely to my advice on a not on a not just on a high level, but on a detail level, what to eat on what day, and I'm not trying to make things mystical for for the listeners. I am saying that there is a level of complexity in choosing foods, you know, just what to eat um, for the day of a rico, the same as the day of a high intensity. Interval session, the same as a four, four and a half, five and a half hour ride on a Saturday. These, these things all matter. Uh, and, and yeah, those that stick best to the program get the best results. It's, that's absolutely true. I mean, it, it helps to have, 
it helps to have good athletic pedigree, let's face it. But, you know, not all of us have that. So you've got to use the one percenters. Mm. And to that, to that point, Jerry, that you raised, this is not just about nutrition. I mean, nutrition's our topic, but if you if you only do nutrition but get four hours sleep a night, never stretch or do massage or core strength or anything like that, you're not going to perform to the best of your ability. So it's one, you know, it's it's one facet of a multifaceted program as far as I can see it anyway. I want you to talk about um, the steep body adaptation curve and how that differs depending on the athletes. So you spoke at the start about habits and the athletes that did really well made it a habit. And I was talking to a Trivelo athlete about this at the nationals who said for them, it was a big change. Um, it was quite drastic and it took them probably only 10 or 11 days, which is a long time when you're getting used to it um, until they just said, I just stopped craving snacks. I stopped craving any sugar um, and it just felt really normal. Um, so how do you find yeah, the differing responses in people? And you spoke last time on the podcast about the fact that, you know, dad himself is an example of someone that's so well-trained. It was as, as steep an adaptation compared to, you know, your average Joe who has never tried anything like this. Yeah, it's a really good question. And, and actually, now that you mention this, I can reflect back on things that I've changed over the last period since, since we spoke. And that is... The, the, I'm going to get to the answer to your question, Jordan, but first I have to say what I did learn is about expectation management. <laughs> okay, I needed to learn that people respond differently and they suffer differently at the start. And I, I don't, I'm, I'm overusing that word. It's not, it's not so much sufferance. Um, at the start, one of the tools that I give to people that I'm looking after is freedom from hunger. This is so fundamental to everything that follows. If we can't cross that bridge, we can't go any further. Mm. I must free people up from hunger because all the good things come downstream once you are no longer a slave to your appetite. Now, as we spoke about, appetite is a massively strong drive mm -hmm. that affects all of us, every single one of us. There's no way of getting around it. You will, if you, if eventually you will feel hungry if you don't eat enough. But in sort of employing a extremely low carbohydrate diet at the start, aka a ketogenic diet, people will, over a period of time, be liberated from their hunger. And that occurs as their body upregulates metabolic changes that include the production of ketones to, to fuel the brain. Now, if, if you're um, Jared Donnelly, you don't need that long to adapt to a ketogenic diet. You probably do it within two days. You don't get the keto flu. You might feel a little bit off color for a day or so. And then there are others um, that really feel it for a couple of weeks. And for those people, um, the comfort comes from expectation management. So I say, you're going to feel like shit. You're not going to be able to pedal. In fact, 50 watts is going to feel like a threshold session. Mm -hmm. If I say that, then they may be pleasantly surprised. If they have somewhere hidden in their background you know, 5,000 metre track background or something like that, yep. then lo and behold, they adapt very quickly because actually those metabolic pathways were not really um, in mothballs. And, and so, you know, that's, that is, in my experience, the difference is this, this time at the start where I, I'm trying to get people liberated from their hunger and I can... I can I can predict it's going to be between a few days and a few weeks. And I make up that time with a range of endeavours that include all sorts of distractions. 
Um, you know, they've got to go shop. They've got to do all the shopping. Mm-hmm. They've got to get some gadgets to start measuring their ketones, whether it be in blood, urine, or breath. Um, they, you know, I, I'm getting them prepared to track their sleep, to, you know, track their recovery, their heart rate, all sorts of stuff. So by the time they sort of look up, um, they're adapted. They're adapted. <laughs> exactly right. And then I can, then I can start experimenting with the next phases, which by and large include um, things like intermittent fasting, extended fasting. I know to the to the to the naive um, listener, this will sound like I'm just depriving um, people of food. It's that's not the case. You know, these athletes are eating just as much uh, in terms of calories um, as as anyone else. But the, what has been changed is what they're eating and the timing that they're eating. Um, and there are there are metabolic and longevity benefits from intermittent fasting. So that typically um, constitutes the second phase. And then it's really about um, creating adaptations that enable athletes to perform at a lower, to perform better and better at a low level of carbohydrate consumption because then when carbohydrate is added, they perform even better. It's like rocket fuel. Um, and they conserve glycogen, which is gold dust at the end of a race, right? So if you've got the most glycogen, when the hammer goes down, you will outlast your competition and you'll win. And that, we saw that happen. I just wanted to, you did say some really good things there in that, that answer. And one of the things is, it's easy for people to sit back and go, well, of course, if you starve your body, you're going to achieve the, the weight loss. But the one thing I wanted to point out to the listeners is you can't actually do the training program with no fuel. And so actual just starving and is going to prevent you from actually finishing any sessions. So, so that's where the, the metabolic adaptation is so crucial to the weight loss and to the longevity you know, the three facets you talked about. So we need to get the listeners to understand that it's just not starving. It's, it's, it's actually eating the right fuel so that you can still function and perform. And that's, I think, where people get lost. Oh, I can do that. I can just not eat and fast and, and I'll be fine. Well, you're not adapting to anything. You're just starving yourself. And, and not only that, but they won't be able to do it because as, we, as we've discussed previously and as I educate every, every patient on, you can't outrun hunger. It just, it, it's, you can try, you can do it for a day, you could possibly do it for two days. You might even succeed in doing it for a week, I don't think so. But come any type of stress, any type of adversity or any type of distraction, when willpower is not, they're on call, then hunger will kick in and kick ass. There's just, you cannot outrun it. So it's not a strategy. It's actually very short-term thinking. We We know this. All of us have tried dieting. All of us have tried calorie restriction, eat, eat less, move more. It doesn't work. And it doesn't work for a range of reasons that, that involve complex um, sets of hormones and an innate drive to put calories in our body that is essential for survival. So you're right. Um, it, it has to be a particular way of, of going about things. This is why I am such an advocate. Not, I, I'm not religious about this, right? I'm not I'm not fervently advocating that everyone go on a ketogenic diet tomorrow for the rest of of their lives. That's absolutely not the case. It's having it as a tool in the toolbox that needs to be pulled out periodically, just like training blocks. I mean, as as we go on, um, you know, all these concepts in training, 
these were not always known. It was not always known to taper. I mean, I think um, the discovery of taper was quite accidental. You know, someone got sick a week out from their marathon with with um, gastro, uh, couldn't train, had a rest, rehydrated, and went and just slaughtered everyone in the in the competition. And they went, "Hey, there must be something to this." And the same goes for heart, you know, for for base build pre race, all that stuff. That's all relatively new. And I believe the same is true in nutrition. And I and and I know I, I know you guys are itching to talk about heat and altitude. I think there's a role for periodizing those as well. Um, so yeah, I, again, ketogenic diet really good for a couple of reasons. You know, in that it removes hunger uh, from your life, and that's just that's so powerful because then then we can pull other levers. Yep. and and periodize our nutrition and our training appropriately. And it's so true. And you know when you are starving, you actually can't concentrate on anything, can you? You can't no. function as a human being because you've got to fulfill that uh, that almost, you know, yep. it, it's just as an innate desire to eat first. And Absolutely. Absolutely. So that's, yeah, that's um, that's right. That's That's why... As I said, I, I don't really enjoy a ketogenic diet. I, I actually get I get pretty bored of it pretty quickly. I can do it for a month if I have to, but it's it's not my um, it's not my favourite diet. I feel I feel it's a bit sort of dry, and I, I, I find myself looking for fruit or you know, something starchy, obviously, because that's that's what my body is telling me to do and I'm ignoring it. Um, I'll tell you a, a good one, though. Um, I, I, there's a patient uh, that I'm looking after that said to me said to me just the other day, and, and he's going better than he's ever gone, and he's at his lightest weight that I've ever known him. You know, he's lost 10 or 12 kilograms from an 83-kilo guy. And he said, yeah, I find I can you know, have a big night out, you know, big, big meal and a few drinks, and then I'll just go keto for a couple of days. And I thought that's exactly, that's exactly how to do it. Yeah. Exactly how to do it. You just reset your body and away you go. It's so, it's so true in not only nutrition, but in anything. And how many times, Jordan, have we talked about anything that's unsustainable? Guess what? you're going to fail at it because it's extreme. So, you know, pick an extreme thing to do. It's, and if it's, if it's not something you can last at, you're going to give up. And so you've got to have versions. And mm. that's kind of what the message you're trying to get across, isn't it? You, you need to do the staple, the staple proper Kickstarter and then it's versions of it. Oh, I'm doing exactly the same thing. If, as, a, as a big event comes near, I just switch into that mode of right. I need to watch these things with the carbs. I need to have my my short fasting periods, and wham, I've got the weight I want within four days, and I can hold that for a month. Yep. And I I think you know it's you use the word versions, but what it is really is once you've achieved mastery, then you can then you can pull the levers at specific times because there's no half keto, um, you know, there's no half intermittent fasting. These are these are things that have to be executed um, fully to, to get the benefit, but when to do that is really dependent on where in your program or, or where in your life you're up to. Can you clarify for me uh, when an athlete needs to do a endurance ride or run? So on the weekend, they're either doing a big four to six hour ride or they're doing a big two hour run. Uh, and if they're intermittent fasting, they're most likely not eating before that. Um, yep. So you're wanting them to be able to do that fasted um, and that helps create you know, fat adaption. So using fat for fuel. Um, but how do you draw that line of 
just not training your body starved? Well, my answer to that is it depends. Um, it depends on the goal. Yeah, this is something you guys talk about every every podcast. It depends on the goal for the session. What is the goal of the session? If the goal of the session uh, is to is to raise your level of fitness, you know, your ability to keep pressure on the pedals, um, to hold a wheel going up a hill where you know it's going to be hard, that sort of thing then I would not be advocating for that to be performed faster. <clears throat> if it's a specifically a, a endurance ride where you're just trying to get Ks into your legs, either running or cycling, then it's not a bad time to experiment with a minimum amount of food intake, bearing in mind that if you were to try a five-hour ride um, of moderate intensity, fasted, okay, we're talking about something like 4,000 calories of exertion and not a single calorie of food intake. That, that's hard for anyone. And, I, and I, would, I would think that the goals of the session will not be met if that's the case. So in, in that case... What I've been advocating, and I've found great success with this, is you know on the order of a, a quarter to a third of whatever the energy expenditure is going to be, to be divided between a, sh- a small amount of food before um, the session and a little bit, and then the rest spread out across the session, in particular feeding intervals. So um, I've had I've had good success. Uh, with this personally and amongst the athletes that I look after, but again, there are there are other times, and you know, I know. So sort of Jerry scratched his head, wondering where I've just gone. I wonder how far I can ride um, before I bonk. You know, <laughs> I, I wonder if I can get to 150 k's at at you know 180 watts, and and um, you know, see how far I can get without without crashing. I mean, when you do bonk, of course, it's a it's it, you're a long way behind in in everything. Um, you're likely to be dehydrated. You're likely to be um, electrolyte deplete. You're likely to you're definitely glycogen deplete. And yeah, I've I've had those rides where I've bonked with 20 k's to go and literally needed, you know, half the rides worth of food just to be able to get home. And that that in itself, well, there there is some adaptation, but. Um, in the end, you get you scratch your head and you go, well, maybe next time I'll just eat a bit more during the during the ride and complete the goals, get uh, achieve the goals of the session. But does that does that answer your question there? Yeah, look, and I think on that uh, exactly what you've just said about you know the, are the goals being met of the session? Um, is there value in bonking? Well, you know the next day's training session will be a problem. And probably two or three days down the track, if you don't actually refuel, um, and you know, if you're in the middle of a fasting period, you're actually not going to be able to train at all. Um, you know, and it could actually be disastrously detrimental to your. You know, we're trying to do nutrition for performance improvement, not for regression. No, precisely, and and that's exactly right. So it does take a lot of precision and, and with a couple of the guys leading up to the nationals, we, we employed a low carbohydrate diet in the days leading up and then repleted them with about two days to go. So they were maximally soaking up and storing glucose as glycogen and the performance was very clear. A follow-up question on this note is, again, where do you draw the line um, post-session with your fuel? So not just an endurance session, any any session, a midweek high-intensity session. Uh, I've heard that the first half an hour is vital for fuel for recovery, and that can affect the next day or the next couple of days. Um, yeah, what, what's the stance on that with what you should be taking in half hour, hour after exercise? 
Depends. It dep- again, it depends on what you're trying to do. It depends on the phase you're in. So that's that. I know that's an unhelpful answer. But if if an athlete is in a very low carbohydrate phase of their program, I would say what you need is a bit of protein. So a protein shake with some um, with some calories as fat, MCT oil or something like that, and that's all. You take you take protein in an attempt to spare um, muscle being converted into fuel. Uh, but on the other hand, if you have just emptied the tank and now is time to carbohydrate load with an A race coming up, in within thirty minutes you want to have a small carbohydrate meal followed up about 45 minutes later with another small carbohydrate meal, followed up another 45 minutes later with another small carbohydrate meal. I mean, I'm talking, you know, a ball of rice, a slice of toast, etc., cetera, um, to maximally integrate that into muscle and liver. Why is that? Why are the smaller portions timed, spaced out to do that? Just because the gut gets overloaded and particularly in athletes that have been restricting carbohydrate. If you hit, if you hit someone with a, a high carbohydrate load that's been restricted, they will blow up like a balloon, um, be very uncomfortable, and in any case, simply won't, um, simply won't convert that into stored glycogen um, anyway. So, what are the um, what are the key things that you would say? come up over and over that you go, these things are vital for the success of, of the goal? Well, it's, it, it is actually very similar to what you guys do. That shouldn't be surprising, of course. Um, number one is always induction and education. If someone understands the concepts of play and understands the, the principles, then they are able to get it right in their own head and make sense of it. And it doesn't need to be scientifically accurate. You know, they don't need to know all the metabolic pathways. They just need, they need a construct in their own head of how it works, right? And, and that's the, always the place to start. The second thing I've learned is that um, people do need a goal. They need, well, they do better if they have a goal. And it could be, it could be a weight target or it could be a performance goal or it could be both. But they need, they definitely do better. And I, um, as you know, I sort of tried my hand at being like a medical coach and found that once people had either achieved their goal or had lost sight of their goal, that they just treaded water. And it was dissatisfying to me uh, and, and I'm certain it was dissatisfying to them. So really... Unless there's a clearly articulated goal, success is less likely. Um, The the third thing, again, in line with what you guys do, is you have to measure and monitor at least until things are habitual, right? So I, I get my patients to measure all sorts of stuff, including their food intake, their caloric intake, their macronutrient intake, their sleep, their heart rate, heart rate variability, and so forth, um, because it it's a score that they can look at and just looking at it modifies the outcome. Now, if you look at what you're eating and you look at how many calories you're eating and you look at how much sleep you're getting, well, you're probably going to subconsciously do something to improve those those numbers probably mm. um, that that is my experience and on that you need to get to know your numbers like like any runner or cyclist or triathlete you you need to become intimate with your numbers you need to know what your basal metabolic rate is because then you'll get a feel you will develop these fields you know I listened to your podcast um, and you say you know your power meter goes down mid race right you've got to have another number to go by right? Your speed, your heart rate, whatever. Same goes in, same goes in nutrition. Once you've got a feel 
you can be out at a restaurant and know just without, you don't need to plug it in. You'll just know roughly what you're consuming. And I think, and that makes it sustainable and, and, and to some extent enjoyable. Look, I, that's the other thing. Sorry, if I could just digress. I know I've painted this picture of it being quite a miserable experience. <laughs> it's not. It, it, it is so empowering to get on top of mm. your health. Mm. Like there is nothing better. There's mm. no better feeling mm. than going, I've got my shit together. Mm. I, it's and, and I often talk about pleasure versus happiness, okay? A piece of apple pie will give you pleasure, but happiness, that comes from standing on top of the podium at the nationals, right? That's different. And the same goes for same goes for getting on top of your health, knowing that you're less at risk of heart disease, less at risk of cancer, less at risk of diabetes. This gives this gives you comfort in that you've got your hands on the steering wheel, mm. possibly for the first time in your life. Mm. So I know I know I sort of started out with a pretty dim picture and apologies, but I, I think it's a wonderful thing actually having this information. Um, to, to um, you know, get take control. The last, the last thing I wanted to say in terms of success outcomes, sleep, <clears throat> greatly underrated. Um, hard to, sometimes hard to improve, um, but, you know, I, I, I wouldn't want you to have a camera in my bedroom <laughs> to, see, to see what sort of shenanigans... I've got set up to help me sleep better. I mean, I, I look, it's a bit like a circus. Um, you know, I've got, I've got a, um, like a cooling pad uh, on top of my mattress. I've got an air conditioner in the room. Um, I wear an eye mask. I've got, you know, shushing sounds going in my ear. I mean, it's a, it's a joke. But, but my aura ring tells me I get a sleep score sort of somewhere between 80 and 95 when I do that stuff and when I don't, it's a bloody disaster. So, you know, I've, I've started focusing on sleep and I think, you know, lots of, lots of health benefits come out of um, improving sleep, the, the, the quality and the quantity of sleep that we get. And it's, it definitely is important for, uh, you know, weight loss and integrating some of the other adaptations. Um, that, that are involved in the program I, I give? Well, so far it's been gold and I, I do know we wanted to talk about uh, altitude and on that, that sort of segue from sleeping in altitude and training at altitude and I'm just conscious that we've been talking, you know, a fair bit of time already. So um, can we just move on to the next concept and that's, you know, the value of performance improvement and you know you've you've been a, a guinea pig to yourself and and gone through and a soul by um, sleeping at altitude, and you know from a medical viewpoint, and lots of us are quite happy to accept that when we jump into a car, the the car drives. We don't know how the engine works, but we just believe it will work, and it does. And so that. The knowledge about what you were saying, education is important to understand how things work to a certain point, but you've got to trust that the research has been done. It's just like the COVID, um, you know, vaccine. We're trusting that it's right. So, um, yes. so getting back to altitude question. So in your opinion, how valuable is that in performance improvement for people who want to get that extra percentage? <laughs> big topic, big topic, and very, very controversial. And I, um, I want to say from the outset that I don't think we know on a mass scale the benefit of altitude for performance or general health yet, but we will soon. And the reason we will soon is the advent of... Um, live high, train low environments, such as um, bedrooms equipped with, um, you know, hypoxic conditions, altitude simulator, right? Which is, yes, I have to declare I have one um, in, in my bedroom. 
So my wife and I sleep at altitude periodically uh, according to a program that I'm sort of making up as I go along. Um, that, that's, the, that's the first thing to say. What I, can, what I can also tell you is that there are people that respond to altitude and people that don't respond so well to altitude. So the, that's well documented that, that the response um, both in terms of your biological parameters and your performance do vary across people um, using altitude. So um, what, what does altitude do? Well, obviously it's exposing you to a low oxygen environment. That's the whole purpose. And that in turn will trigger uh, changes in um, the blood particularly it'll trigger the endogenous production of EPO, which, as we know, then stimulates red blood cell production. What, what I know uh, is that the change, um, the change in sort of blood haemoglobin, which, which is the molecule that carries oxygen, um, after being at altitude for a period can be increased by something like somewhere between 6 and 10%. That doesn't necessarily translate to a 6 to 10% increase in aerobic ability. Um, the, the literature is definitely still out on that one. I was going to ask, what, is, what does that 6 to 10% mean? Yeah, well, I mean, th- there's this concept of EPO as a placebo, okay? So for those, I mean, there, there's... Um, you know, the, the performance improvements are within striking distance of placebo. So you could give them a sugar pill, say, this is EPO, mate, see how you go, and, and you may get similar benefits in terms of performance. So the, the jury is still out on, on altitude and, and, might I say, on EPO for that matter. There have been studies where they administer highly trained athletes with EPO and their performance benefit is not that different to placebo. Mm. Um, so um, that is controversial. It, it's controversial. And, and, you know, obviously we take the view that EPO will improve performance and, and so, so does the, you know, WADA and, and so forth um, because it, it, it might well do. No question. We're, we're talking about altitude, of course, um, what, what, um, so another couple of key points I can give you is that the benefit could be divided into two categories. One is increasing your red cell mass. So how much red blood cell you've got in your body to carry oxygen, to increase your aerobic capacity. And the other one is more subtle and, and, and not very well understood, but is probably quite quick. Um, it's probably quite quick to come on. So within a day or two of being at altitude, you won't have produced, you know, way more red blood cells, but you will already have adaptations. Um, and so at what altitude do you get these benefits? In the literature, as low as 1,500 metres. Um, you know, Optimally, 2,000 to 2,500 metres of altitude and optimally for a period of weeks. And, again, this is, this is something I'd love to talk to you about at length another time mm-hmm. um, <laughs> once I've learnt more mm-hmm. and experienced more myself. But definitely there is, a, there is a way to do this, to build this into a training program, to, to, to periodise it, to time it with mm-hmm. A-races, because it, it is a science to know when to be at altitude, when to come out of altitude relative to an upcoming race. Correct, correct me if I'm wrong, but it sounds like you're not so sure on, on what the literature says and the outcomes of it, yet you sleep with an altitude tent. I do. So I'm, I'll declare straight away that I'm... Well, A, I'm, I always experiment on myself. But, and two, there's enough support in the literature. 
it's controversial, but there is support in the literature. But I'm also interested in the longevity benefit that comes from something called hormesis, which is basically exposing the body to difficulty and the and the long-term benefit of of that. Um, so you can you can access this um, hormesis and and a process in the body known as autophagy, which is basically like recycling old, dead, shitty DNA and cells to reduce your cancer risk and and um, you know, maintain your chance of living longer by exposure to heat, like sauna, uh, altitude, carbohydrate restriction, calorie restriction. All of these things can potentially increase our lifespan through reducing our risk of certain diseases. So I'm I'm an interested experimenter and student of of that outside of performance. Um, so yeah, that's that, that's that's why I'm interested. But as you say, as you rightly point out, um, the literature is definitely divided on the benefit, largely because there is a paucity of really good studies. There's just not that many good studies. And it took it took researchers a long time to figure out that um, if you try and train at high altitude, you just can't you can't push the power. You can't run at that pace. Mm-hmm. So they had they so that's it was only I don't know maybe fifteen years ago that the concept of live high, train low actually came about. You know that. They, they had these training camps in Colorado and then they'd come and do their sessions indoors uh, at, at, you know, Norma Barrick, uh, Normoxic uh, conditions. So it's just this is all very new. And as I said, now with the ability to, because I'm not a massive fan of the tent because I get claustrophobic, but now with, um, you know, with systems where you're in a bedroom, you know, you could get 10, 11 hours in your bedroom at 2,000 metres and see the benefit. Mm. So, yeah. Fascinating. Mm. And there is so much in it. And look, it's no different. The altitude, there is a, a certain amount of metabolic adaptation occurring as well, just like in nutrition, just like in training. Um, you know, it's no coincidence that it seemed like the Kenyans who lived at, you know, 2000, 2000 yeah. the, the South Americans, the, you know, the Ethiopians, and you just rattle off every culture that lived above a certain height had years of adapting. Um, so they were already adapted and therefore they could train hard at altitude. And, and this is one of the points you're saying. We're not adapted because we don't, we haven't lived at altitude altitude for, for our entire life so therefore when we go to train we're just we're gasping with the the lack of oxygen in the air and and that's the value of these guys who can sleep and train without that you know they're trying to do as a runner you're trying to do six by one k at 230 pace they have no issue doing that at altitude whereas you know average joe comes from sea level he's going to absolutely fail at that session um, Absolutely. I'll tell you another interesting one, just, just for interest's sake. There was a study done in Kenyan runners a couple of years ago um, and they gave Kenyan runners EPO every second day for four weeks and they gave... Um, it's an ethical study? Is it? <laughs> yeah, yeah, ethical study. Um, ethical study. And they also gave, um, you know, C-level um, athletes EPO. And the and the rise in in hemoglobin in the Kenyans who were living at like twenty two hundred meters was bugger all. <laughs> so 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 actually most of the benefit of most of the benefit um, was achieved just by altitude, living at altitude, training at altitude. Um, so they, they they kind of didn't really need the EPO because they'd already got that benefit alone. So, you know, it's these sort of studies that make me think it is possible. It is possible to dope legally 
with altitude. That's that's my underlying belief is that it is a it is a performance enhancer that is legal at legal at the moment. I just want to pick up on something we just talked about before, and it was the placebo effect of EPO. It was off the topic, but it's such a ripper because for me, the investment should be in the psychologist to get you to think that you are a world beater today. You know, that that is where we should be actually, the mind. And we've in the I think in the last 10 or 15 years, there's been more um, psychologists employed for athletes than there ever has before because people understand how valuable it is to have the right mindset and focus and single-mindedness. It is like taking EPO or sleeping at altitude. The the benefits you get from having the right mindset, and we've talked about this in many podcasts, not only on this topic, but, but, you know, you would that be your opinion, Harry, that that is untapped? Well, I I actually think... Um, again, if you look at if you look at the performance of the Trivello athletes at the nationals, that exceeds what should have happened on a statistical basis, which to me represents the the potency of non physiological um, intervention. Like it is, for me, it is a cultural intervention. It is a psychological intervention that you've created in in this in the cycling group. So I think you're right. Um, you know whether whether you need a coach or a psychologist, you know, it might depend on the individual. But certainly, um, there, there is performance to be tapped. That is outside what your blood biochem, you know, your blood hematology and biochemistry can explain, and 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 equally, there's probably, um, you you know, as I said, there's you might get a eight percent uplift in um, your oxygen carrying capacity from altitude or or some other means, but how come we can't? How come we haven't seen an eight percent increase in performance from that in any of the studies? And that's again, that's it's probably it's there's probably some limiter. You know, we've we we've I've mentioned that book uh, Endure by Alex Hutchins. That's a really good read for any of the listeners. Um, and he talks about some of the limiting factors to human performance. Really good read. Uh, so I recommend that. I think that'll be my next book. Um, Will Walker touched on the podcast last week, you know, because we asked him about his uh, record VO2 max of 94. And he made the uh, interesting and very valid point that he, he believes that someone with a VO2 max of 60 could still compete against the world's best. You know, it's not exactly what you just said then, you know, there's a lot more to performance than just, yeah, what's your, your hemoglobin count or your, um, yeah, your biochemistry, your physiology. Yeah. Oh, so true and how do you explain how do you explain two people with similar FTP with just vastly different race performance result race results I mean it's, there's something more to it obviously yep so what I finish with um asking you a couple of last questions and one is what is the most or what are the most frequently asked questions or topics that you get from your patients um, or people asking you about nutrition that are that you want to that you could quickly just uh, answer i mean if i'm honest the most common questions are a bit inane and silly <laughs> uh you know does um am i allowed to eat yogurt uh you know, can I, does wheat bix count as carbohydrate if I don't put milk on it? You know, it's just silly stuff. That's that's what I get mostly. Um, Most people wouldn't know the answers to those, you know. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's, it's yeah, it's good. Um, educating people on, on you know, um, various aspects of nutrition. I, I think, um, look, it's... It's a lot to do, as I said, with expectation management. You know, how long is this going to take? 
when will I see the change um, and so forth. I, I, they, are, they are honestly the main questions that I, that I get and it's, I've had to learn to manage expectation because sometimes they're like a border gate and people will lose 10% of their body weight within weeks and their performance is amazing. You know, we, we, know, we know a few examples of those in the coaching group um, and others, it just is a slower burn, but, but uh, no one fails to make gains if mm. they stick to the program. Every single person that I've looked after, okay, mm. some take a bit longer, but you know, the, principles, the principles applied will work on everyone um, so, yeah, I mean, they're the, they're the main and the other ones are what do I eat before a session, what do I eat during a session, you know, if you're, again, depends on the, depends on the phase and the particular type of session, but I think the real, the one that I really cottoned on to quite recently, especially once an athlete was um, pretty well adapted but now looking for performance benefits during sessions was just to add a little bit of carbohydrate before the session and during, but not, not too much. And to maintain, you know, a hundred grams a day of carbohydrate as a, as a rule. So they're, they're the main, they're the main sort of questions I get, I suppose. That's a great summary that you said that, you know, eventually it doesn't matter whether it's one minute or, or one month or, you know, six months, you will eventually achieve the goal if you stick with it. And I think I said in the podcast a couple of weeks ago, I was listening to an interview from Ed Sheeran and he, he was saying he was a really average singer or a really average musician in terms of playing any instruments. And he said, the more you work at something, you give yourself no chance except get better. <laughs> And it's such a true statement, you know. You can't help it if you just keep plugging away. And this is the thing that I'm trying to get across to the listeners in, in getting someone like you on, Harry, who is going to encourage people that you, you know, there is no other solution. If you stick with the process, um, eventually you will succeed. And, and I'm saying that message, and so is Jordan. You know, we've got so many examples of this. You know, Jordan took three years to break two minutes in an 800, you know, that is just an outlying example of sticking with the mm. process and you will succeed. Mm. Hope we can keep celebrating that every podcast. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. No, great point, Dad. Um, yeah, Harry, so much value in being able to have these conversations with you. Uh, we absolutely love it. We know the listeners do as well. And we, I feel like we could talk for hours, um, which is why we'll definitely have you back on the podcast very soon uh, because these topics are just so much fun to dive into. I agree. No, I love it. Um, It's great fun, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. I really want to reiterate the point you made in the middle of the podcast, which is is an absolutely outstanding point um, on pleasure versus happiness. And um, we, I think, yeah, over the three podcasts where we spoke about nutrition, we have painted a little bit of a grim picture, but um, what you said was unbelievable. I just can't, I actually found that just so profound. And last year when we did our wrap up for the year, we did our biggest lessons. My number one lesson was what you taught us about nutrition and how you don't have to be a slave to your appetite. And I just think there is yeah, such an amazing lesson in that. And when you can get on top of it, it is liberating. Uh, and it's, you're looking at the world differently, you know, suddenly food isn't controlling you. And this is from a perspective of uh, myself where I've never really had a problem with food um, or weight. Um, but mm. yeah, I know in society, you've said this, it's a big problem. And so to be able to get on top of that uh, and achieve that happiness level compared to succumbing to the pleasure of what your appetite wants is yeah, quite profound. Imagine being in control of your own destiny every minute of the day. It's just such a good feeling, isn't it? And, and you know, we always say people get their ambition and ability confused at times. But once, once you get on that journey, you know, you, you certainly, you are in control. And that's such a good feeling. Um, and that's kind of what we're trying to, the message we're trying to get across is you can, you can take control of anything in your life. And I'm not talking about athletic performance or nutrition or whatever. You're in charge of your own destiny if you want to, um, you know, and and there's so many lessons there in life. Um, we, we are talking about athletic performance, but but, but I'm, I'm really an, an adamant 
um, pusher of people taking control of their own destiny. I'll give you the tools, just like you're saying with your nutrition. Here's how to go about it. Here's what to do every day, when to do it, get this order right, and you will be in control of your own destiny. And you will, because you've got feedback from every minute of the day that you're seeing things happen, it's inspiring and that, that's what's important. You need to have that uh, that analysis coming back at you all the time where you're going, oh, shit, I can do this better next week. I can do this better again. And, and it's motivating uh, and, and that's that controlling your own destiny. And I think that's one of the things that, that if we want to get anything out of this today is that, um, you know, it's up to you. It's up to each individual as to whether you want to take control of that or whether you want to just carry on the journey that you're on. And there's nothing wrong with that except we are talking about improving your athletic performance. And this is a game changer. Any comments, final comments from you, Harry? Well, I don't want to, I don't want to come in over the top of that because I think it was perfectly put. Perfect. Well, uh, thank you very much for coming on again. Where can people find you if they want to enlist in your services and get this help and, and yeah, take control of, of their destiny, as Dad said? Well, you can see me on the Saturday lunch ride with Tribello uh, when we're allowed to ride outdoors again, which hopefully will be this weekend. Uh, or um, I have a website, uh, which is myperformancedoctor.com. So myperformancedoctor, all one word, dot com. Perfect. And we'll put that URL in the show notes of the podcast. So if you uh, look at the detailed description of the podcast, you'll be able to see that URL. So Thank you so much, Harry. Absolute pleasure. Um, really enjoyed that and can't wait to talk to you again on the next episode. Absolutely. Thanks, Thanks guys. Bye. Cheers.